The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number 206. You would think after 207 of these, you would finally get something right, Holly, but you did not, no. uh, which is fine. Yes. But hey, this is where we are. I can barely remember my kids' names some days, let alone what episode number we are on. I mean, we're past 200. Do I really have to keep counting? We are dealing with in a society so much. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that we have somebody that we could talk to today uh, dealing with uh, something that maybe we don't even think about, Holly, in grief. Yeah, because grief comes in all different shapes and sizes. We grieve for a myriad of reasons. And I think as a culture, we've never really absorb the idea of what is grief and how do we grieve properly? Yeah. So we're, we have a, a lot of questions for uh, an expert. Uh, I'm going to preface expert. Surely you might say that you're not, but uh, Shirley Thiessen, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. We'd be remiss without asking our skill testing question. You did not have to study for this. Who are you? Where did you come from? I'm Shirley Thiessen. I'm daughter of the most high King, Jesus Christ. He has adopted me into his family of royalty, which means I'm a princess and an heiress to an incredible inheritance in heaven. That makes me a kind of a big deal, I think. Besides that, I am a wife to uh, my husband, Carrie, for 37 years. We have a married daughter, Chantal, who lives in Calgary, and a son, Jordan, who lives in heaven. He moved there eight and a half years ago. Oh, oh, and I, from Winnipeg, sorry, I, <laughs> I was born in uh, Winnipeg, lived in um, Edmonton, Calgary, my elementary years, and then from 14 to 25, lived in a beautiful place called Tawasson, British Columbia, mm. and then for the last 32 years, I've lived in Calgary. Well, let's dive into some of that story. Born in Winnipeg, you, moved, you stayed in the prairies for a while. You got to go to BC. What was life growing up for you like, especially moving around a lot? Yeah, I started to resent my dad's success as a salesman because every time he got a promotion, uh, we we moved. But mm. that did teach me how to be um, have some empathy for the new kid because I was the new kid in several situations. But, you know, it was always a very uh, maturing process, I think, of moving and, and making new friends. And, uh, you know, I, two of my dearest friends are still from my Sunday school class when I was um, six, six and seven, and uh, in Calgary, and they still are dear friends. So there's some great value to traveling and moving around. But I did appreciate that we had put down some roots in Tawasin. And uh, that's where I met my husband. Oh, nice. It, it's always interesting to me when you have the conversation with somebody about what did you want to be when you grow up? Because uh, 90% of the time, what we wanted to do and what we are doing is very different. If we would have asked you this question 30, 40, 50 years ago, what would that answer have been? Oh my goodness. I had a lot of confusion around what I wanted to be. In fact, in high school, I took this um, assessment. So back in the 80s, um, this took several weeks to get the results back um, after doing these grueling tests about your personality and your likes and dislikes. And I was so looking forward to having some clarity about what is it that I should give my life to and have a mm. career. And I was shocked when the answer was, I should be a potato farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what? A potato farmer? I know, it was so specific. 
But I have to say, I do have some wonderful friends in Edmonton who are potato farmers and they're, they love their work and they do great work and I admire them. But I was like, at the time, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, what did you want to do? Because clearly it wasn't the potato farming. Uh, with the help of my uh, my boyfriend at the time, who became my husband, I uh, started to go into hairstyling. So I was a hairstylist for a few years. Then I was um, a fundraiser for a couple of Christian universities here in Canada. I, my husband and I were the directors of a clergy care center, a retreat center for a few years. I worked for the Mustard Seed in Calgary, uh, also fundraising. And now I uh, have a, a nonprofit called Corner Bend Ministries, which is completely about providing hope-filled grief resources hmm. for both the griever and the friends who come alongside their grieving friends. Faith has obviously been a, a huge part of your journey. When did that start? Well, I was raised in a wonderful Christian family. That was the start of it, but it wasn't until I lived in Edmonton and in grade six, one of the most popular girls in my class, she was very um, outgoing and on fire for Jesus. And she decided to pick me, the shyest kid in the class, who was an undercover Christian. And she, um, I remember her coming up to me one day in math class and saying, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was like, oh shoot, I thought I was hiding that. And, <laughs> and she just said, you know what, you and I are going to be friends. She taught me how to be bold about my faith. You know, obviously there's things that God used in my life to grow that deeper, but that was really the spark. Then you had said uh, Corner Bend Ministries is kind of where your heart is right now. What led up to that? Well, I'd have to take you back to the year 2012. At that time, my son, Jordan, was in his last year of university. He had uh, just proposed to his girlfriend in January. Then in April, they both graduated, which was a huge miracle. My son had failed kindergarten and had some learning disabilities at the very beginning of his life, but then blossomed into this uh, scholarly guy. Then he was looking for a job anywhere in Canada and landed one in his field of environmental studies in our city. And so we're so grateful here, knowing that he'd be living nearby. And then in October of 2012, uh, October 6, he got married here in Calgary, and it was just a beautiful celebration. And uh, my husband and I went down to California to celebrate just this huge season that we had just come through. And four days into the holiday, I decided to go shopping for an item for a condo. And I was going to shop like my husband, you know, just like in and out, find it, buy it, take it home, done. But as I walked into this store, I was quickly distracted by a rack of summer dresses on clearance. <laughs> and I went over as a smart woman does. And I had a look and there was a black dress in the middle of the flowery dresses that clearly did not belong. It was on the wrong rack, I'm sure. Anyways, I had a look. I really admired the fabric, the design, but it wasn't my size and I didn't need a black dress. So I started to walk away. And that's when I heard these words. I want you to buy that black dress. You are going to a funeral. Well, my head swung around to see like, who said that? There were people in the store, but no one was near me. Confused, I continued to walk away. And I, and now the words repeated, but now I could read them in my head like a news ticker. Before I knew it was happening, I was standing in front of a full-length mirror in the change room wearing the dress. It fits so comfortable. It, it kind of felt like a hug. And my rational thought was like, 
what am I doing? I don't know anyone who has recently died. I have no funeral to attend. Besides, I already have a black dress in my closet. You know, I've heard God's whisper to my spirit. I've felt his nudges, but I've never received such a bold directive. So I bought the dress. I took it home. I didn't have long to wait before God revealed the reason. In a couple hours after that shopping trip, a uniformed police officer was at our door. In a few minutes, we were to learn the most devastating news that our son, Jordan, just married 12 days, had died in a workplace accident. Now, it took me a few moments to kind of connect the dots of earlier that day, that black funeral dress. Now I knew whose funeral I was destined to wear it, my son's funeral. But as we were flying home back to Calgary, it occurred to me that my heavenly father, he wasn't shocked about this news as I was. And this indication that he had picked out the dress that I would wear to my son's funeral was an act of love and a a tangible symbol that he will never leave me or forsake me. And the interesting thing to me about that dress is also the lining. It is a beautiful purple satin lining. And purple is the symbolic color of royalty. It's like God was saying, you are my daughter of the Most High King, Jesus Christ. You are mine. And I want you to always wear this dress, remembering whose you are. When people go through those kinds of moments, um, that are literally life-changing. You thought you were going on this trajectory, and in a moment, everything changed. Was there a second where you're like, God, what's happening here? Why Why is this the path that, that you're putting me on? I'm embarrassed to say that I actually went through a crisis of faith a few months later. It was like, as the shock starts to lift, I began to realize all that I had lost. I hadn't just lost Jordan in that event of losing a son. I had lost all my future with him. It became apparent in my, because I became very angry at God. I was like, are you kidding me? My son was following hard after you, God. Doesn't our country desperately need godly young adults? Like, come on. I felt like I've been serving you my whole life. I know that you're sovereign. I know that you're all powerful. You could have prevented this, but you allowed it. I had a hard time reconciling that God would love me and allow this to happen. And so I wrestled through doubts and anger and eventually bitterness, which, man, even even I started to see how ugly I was getting in bitterness. And it wasn't uh, a, a Bible verse. It wasn't a song. It was actually a sign that friends bought me from a gift store in Canmore. That was like the kick in the pants that made me change the trajectory of my heart. And the sign simply says, be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, crap, she's up. What I was so disturbing about that that sign, it makes me laugh. But I was like, am I really that woman that I'm a threat to the enemy? No, I wasn't. I was actually in my despair, in my choosing to unplug from God. I wasn't praying. I wasn't praising him. I was unplugging and going insular. I was actually participating with the enemy because we all have a choice to make. Will we choose to let the Lord recycle our pain for his good purpose? Or will we just stay in this posture of despair? And so I said, Lord, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I am surrendering to you my heart 
my heart, my grief, my loss, my anger. And I'm asking you to recycle my pain for your good purpose. I promise to participate and I'm going to trust your plan, but please don't ask me to do anything too hard because you know how fragile I am, right? From that moment on has just been brought opportunities and opportunities to talk about the hope that he is for me and my grieving heart. And I will grieve until heaven. Do you think it's different, the grieving process for uh, a death, uh, just death in general, where it's expected and unexpected? Well, I can't uh, fully speak to that because I haven't experienced it. I think when a grief is anticipated or a loss is anticipated, the grieving process starts so much earlier, even while that person might be alive. Say it's a cancer diagnosis or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that is certainly different. But I've been, as I've talked to people who've anticipated a loss, they say sometimes it even feels like it's a shock, even though it is anticipated. So yeah, I think it's different for everyone, but um, grief across the board and, you know, other loss, like loss of a job, loss of finances, all of the losses that we will experience over a lifetime, the principles that I've learned about losing a child actually are transferable to those other losses. And that's really what I want. I want to help people understand that there are some coping strategies, I believe, that are founded in the Word of God that we can cling to. Often people think that grief can be handled in seven steps, 10 steps, 12 steps, but grief is not that linear as you try to process it. What was one of your biggest takeaways navigating grief? I've actually come up with this acrostic, GPS. So, um, Back in 2008, I bought a GPS for my car because I am so directionally challenged. This is before Google Maps. <laughs> and um, I just started to be able to drive uh, with more confidence in unfamiliar territory. I wasn't wasting time going off in the wrong direction. And so I thought, you know, often or for myself, for particularly at the beginning of my grief, I was going off in the wrong direction. And I needed to have a GPS. And so basically, this is acrostic for gratitude, perspective, and serving others. And so that, I think, is a secret sauce um, to navigating your grief. So the first is gratitude. Well, as soon as my son died, I thought, I have nothing to be thankful for. I mean, that wasn't true, but that's how I felt. And so when I got back into the habit of expressing thanks to God, for what I did have, for worshiping him, which is worship is warfare. You're actually pushing back the darkness. And so even if I didn't feel like it, I would praise God. I would express my gratitude. And then perspective. I had to be reminded and remind myself that this world is not all there is. There, We have the best is yet to come. And while I miss my son so much, I know there is going to be a very... Um, incredible reunion with him that I can't wait. And then the last one, serving others, it feels so counterintuitive and it certainly did for me, but part of my own self-care is serving others. And so I even realized when I was just raw into my grief, I was praying. Actually, I, I had my prayer journal open and I had a whole page dedicated to my son, Jordan. And I had this weird thought like, oh my goodness, I don't have to pray for him anymore. The days that I, I understood that I was pregnant with him, I've prayed for him every day for 23 years. And now I don't have to pray for him. 
I remember glancing across the room at a picture of my son with his three groomsmen who two weeks later became his pallbearers. Mm-hmm. And I felt like God say, I want you to put the names of Colin, Jared, and Addison in your prayer journal and start praying for them. I want you to serve them in that way. And so I have, and I did. And that was kind of like a little piece where God says, you know, I know you don't even want to leave the house right now, but you can sit in your chair and you can pray for these young men, like as if they're your sons. And so that was when God revealed to me that, you know what, that is part of my obedience and serving others, even when I am so devastated myself, is part of a little piece of healing starting to happen in my own heart. I mean, something like GPS is, is so simple. Do you think that it's so simple that it works because we just don't grieve properly? Yeah, I think our natural inclination is to stuff it. And and sometimes that's because there, we don't have a safe community with which to grieve. Like grief needs to be witnessed. It needs to be acknowledged. And is I'm very sad to know that um, some people have actually lost, left their church family because they felt like people expected that, well, you know, it's been a year, like, where's the joy of the Lord? Why are, why are you still crying? They kind of project their own ideas about how we should grieve. And then you feel like, well, I can't share that. I don't want them to know how devastated I still am. So I'm going to have to put on this, this other person when I go to church or go in with these certain people and that's not fair. And so I desperately want us to learn how to make space for people to grieve authentically. When it comes to being able to support friends who've had loss uh, in their life and at, at, you know, everyone will experience loss at some point. How is what are some of the ways that we can authentically and, you know, in a helpful way, support them as they go through these very difficult seasons? Well, I've learned a lot from my own caring um, grief companions. And uh, so I've actually developed a course about how I call them hope heroes, because a caring grief companion is someone who lends you hope when you feel like yours is leaking out. And so there, I've come up with another acrostic called the LAP. We do the LAP with our grieving friends. And that stands for listen, acknowledge, pray, and patiently be present. And when we think of the life of Jesus, that's what he did with people when he lived here on earth. And I think that that is really the need of that grieving friend that you have. They need you to listen. And, you know, without judgment without advice just listen and sit Mm. in that with them and then acknowledge acknowledge that it's hard and that there are certain things that you can do like mentioning their loved one's name asking them what do you miss most about him today instead of like how are you you know that which is so hard to answer when Mm. you're grieving (laughs) and then pray and then pray i mean that seems like a no-brainer but I have learned all what is at stake for that grieving person. There's so much to be praying for their, their health, their physical health, their emotional health, their relational health, and their spiritual health. Again, this is so important. And so I actually spend like 30 minutes of it in my course that I've developed just talking about that. And then the last P, uh, patiently be present we tend to project a timeline on people. And I just want to encourage people to know it's for your lifetime. 
as long as you love, you are going to grieve. It's going to ease to some degree, but you will always have that loss. So the one of the kindest things we can do is be patient with our grieving friends. What I love is that uh, it, it is a short read, the little black funeral dress. What has the reaction been from people who have had uh, a chance to go through it, uh, whether it's somebody who is grieving or maybe a friend who has a friend who is grieving? Well, I've been, I've been delighted how God has used it. First of all, the people who say to me, you know, I'm not a reader and mm. I read your book in one sitting. That, that is a great compliment because that's my husband. Uh, he's not a reader at all. And then when people say, you know what, this is an incredible tool or resource that I can give to a grieving friend because while you can send flowers, right, you can do things like that. This is something tangible that your grieving friend can refer to time and time again. So, and it's also instructive for that friend of the griever who doesn't know most of us, like what is helpful to say or do? Um, And so I have some ideas in there, how to be a caring grief companion, a hope hero. And so it's for a number of different purposes it can be used. So I have been so delighted, but I'll just share with you one story where this gentleman lost his dad, was devastated uh, even though, you know, his dad was elderly and he knew one day he was to have to face that. But as he read the book, he um, he realized he had not been a hope hero, a, a caring grief companion for his sister who had lost a teenage daughter 30 years earlier. He said, you know, I certainly was for her at the funeral and the time of the death, but I really have never mentioned her name. I've never I've not really acknowledged. I've not listened, acknowledged, prayed and patiently be present. So he decided to write her a letter and just share some memories that he had of of the teenage daughter, his niece. And he made sure it arrived just about the time of the 30th anniversary of her passing. And these were siblings that really didn't talk much. They lived in different cities. And because of him reaching out, even all that time later, as a result of reading my book, an idea came to his mind and their relationship has been restored and has been better than ever. So it's never too late. And I want to encourage people with that. It's never too late to reach out to your grieving friend. Well, this is the Why Me Project podcast. So I want to dive into that question because I'm guessing you asked it maybe one or two times uh, or maybe not. Were there any moments, not even just through this grief process, but throughout your life where you just ask God, why me? And it could have been in a, a mountaintop moment of life or in a valley. Well, definitely I've asked God, why me in my grief? And he has made it abundantly clear that, you know, my purpose is to love God and to love others. He's asked me, as he asked all of his followers, to let him recycle our pain for his good purpose. When we find purpose in our pain that is far beyond anything we can imagine, it it helps us to move through it. It helps us to see his redemptive purpose. You know, I would have, if I'd known that this was God's plan, I probably would have done my best to talk him out of it. Mm-hmm. I would have given all the reasons uh, why, yeah, this is not a good idea. But I have come to reconcile that for whatever reason, God has allowed this. And I cannot waste a day uh, when I'm not participating with him 
asking him, Lord, I surrender this to you. I, my heart is still hurting so much, but I'm asking you to recycle this pain for your good purpose. And I will trust you even when I don't understand it. And so, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. He gives us glimpses of what he is doing through us. And he is doing that for me. And I'm grateful. The Little Black Funeral Dress is available now. You can get it at uh, ShirleyDeason.com, T-H-I-E-S-S-E-N.com, Facebook as well, uh, Corner Bent. From a uh, potato farmer prospect to an incredible <laughs> ministry leader, Shirley, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your heart. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you again to Shirley for taking some time and talking about a subject, Holly, that you know you had mentioned it. I had written it down on questions. We do not grieve well. No, and there just seems to be a general lack of understanding about grief. Uh, I remember when my grandmother passed away, we knew it was coming. Mm. We'd known for years, but it was still a bit of a shock to the system. And while we're going through you know, the planning for the funeral, one song stood out, Kirk Franklin's Smile. To this day, I cannot listen to that song because it triggers memories of planning and the pain. But then I can just see my grandmother smiling and saying, you should have picked that song. Y'all are soft or something like that. But it just it pops up when you least expect it. And we need to talk about it more. One of the other things, and we didn't have a chance to talk with Shirley about, but is also then a year of first. Mm-hmm. And that is the first Christmas, the first birthday, the anniversary, all those things then that go afterwards where you think, you know what, I'm doing okay, I'm doing good. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday or, oh, it's Christmas and we usually do this. So uh, again, you have to allow yourself to uh, be okay and that you can grieve. And as a friend, just be an ear and listen. You don't have to fill in that silence and that void. That's my problem is that I'm like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to, sometimes, you know what, we just need to be in that quiet. I also um, had seen somewhere talking about if you don't know what to say, take moments to celebrate and honor the person that they that mm. they lost. So it's, you know, someone passes away and you're like, oh, man, so-and-so was so great. Uh, I remember that time that we just laughed over his burnt macaroni or something, right? Like to just to honor the memory and to remind them of those incredibly cherished moments. I wrote it in big, bold letters and I circled it because I like to take notes as we do this, uh, hope hero, be a hope hero. So thank you to Shirley again. Uh, if you have not downloaded the podcast, if you have not told a friend, a family member, a complete stranger, then it's on you and you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but uh, you can download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Oh, and by the way, we have a whole bunch of new things too, don't we? Yeah, we are really trying our best to grow our podcast and to grow our projector family, if you will. So if there's someone who you think needs to hear this message, please share this episode with them. Rate, review, all of that, as that'll just help other people see the podcast in the standings and hopefully then be encouraged and inspired as well. We're trying to up our game, guys. We just want to be able to continue to serve you in more ways than just the online podcast. We thought it would last 10 episodes. It's been over 200. We figured we got to start doing something now. You step up our game. (laughs) Anyways, make sure you download, uh, check it out, reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you as well. And uh, also faithstrongtoday.com. 